So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are going to focus on verses 1 through 11 this morning, 1 Corinthians 12. And if you were here last week, kind of give you a little bit of review. We've just started into a series talking about who is the Holy Spirit, how does he work in our lives. And so last week, if you were here, and if you weren't, let me kind of give you an update. We, we talked about how when each one of us, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is deposited in you as this guarantee for the future. But something happens in the process of following Jesus as you surrender your life to him, that then you are filled or baptized or empowered by the Holy Spirit. And last week we, talk about, we talked about God gives us this ability or this power beyond our own capacity to be his witnesses. And so we talked about the Holy Spirit's power in our life last week. Today we're going to talk about with his power also comes when the Holy Spirit is fully functioning in us and working in us. He deposits gifts into our lives that he's purposed for us not to hang on to for ourselves, but to share with other people, to invest in the lives of other people around us. It's a a supernatural equipping that the God of the universe pours into you and I so that we can benefit people around us, which is, is amazing that God is so involved in our lives that he gives a supernatural equipping in our lives to give things away. Now, the difficulty sometimes when we talk about gifts is that, that when we think of gifts, we sometimes default to kind of like that, our, our childlike kind of mentality. If you're like me, anybody remember Christmas morning? You're like anticipating Christmas morning. Yeah, Jesus was born. Yeah, my parents are going to be there. My family's going to be there. But what's the most important part? I'm getting presents, right? That was it. That's why you stay up all night. That's why you're excited. And I think sometimes when we think of the word gift, that's what we think of. And so we think of a gift that's given to me for me to have, for me to enjoy, for me to hang on to. But when the Holy Spirit gives gifts, he doesn't give gifts for you and I to hang on to. He gives gifts for us to give away. And Jesus said it, and it's said throughout scriptures that it's more blessed to give than receive. And a lot of times we go, yeah, that's nice, but you, we really we want to be on the take. But it's true at every aspect of our lives. When we are given something... We are always happier when we are able to give it away. In fact, I was reading this last week. There's a couple couple different universities. I think Harvard did one of the studies. But they did this test where they gave people money. And they instructed them. They said, listen, we want you to spend this money on somebody else. And so they did. They gave them, I don't know, I think it was like $100. It might have been a little bit more. But they gave each person, they said, now go find somebody to spend this money on, to invest. Which means, in other words, you can't spend it on yourself. You have to spend it on somebody else. So they went and they did this, and then they, then they took an, an assessment of what people's responses was. And they were amazed that every single person who didn't spend the money on themselves, but spent the money on somebody else, was happier. Happier than if they would have hung on to it, either spent it on themselves or stuck it in the bank. They were happier. Why? Because they were able to give it away. And it's even, even better when you're able to give away something that wasn't yours in the beginning, Right? If someone gave you money and said, give it away, it's really easy. Kind of like if the Holy Spirit gives you a gift and says, give it away, it's not our gift to hang on to in the first place. It's given to be given away. And in the giving process, in the investing of the people, there's this incredible happiness and joy and fulfillment that comes because we're not hanging on to something that God has given us to give away. So this morning, we're going to let, let me read. We're going to look at these verses 1 through 11 and then talk through these things called spiritual gifts. Now, we could literally spend probably 12 weeks going through spiritual gifts. We're going to try to cram it all into one morning as we walk through this, this focusing really not necessarily on the gifts in the series, but on the Holy Spirit. But so starting in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes this. He says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another miracle, miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit... And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. 
So Paul covers quite a bit of territory in those 11 verses. I want to take some time to walk through those and really kind of take some time to digest understanding the gifts of the Spirit. And in a a nutshell, a simple kind of definition or or understanding of, of of a gift of the Spirit is it is a supernatural and natural outpouring of a gift that God gives us in our lives that's given to each follower of Jesus. When you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, and then you are filled with the Holy Spirit... You get a gift that comes with that, and it's to be used for the purpose that God has in our lives for other people through the church for the purpose of the world. That is God's investment through us. That is a spiritual gift. That's an empowerment that comes beyond our our natural ability. We're not talking about temperament. We're not talking about personality. We're not talking about skill set. We're talking about a supernatural gifting that comes from the Holy Spirit that goes beyond our own uh, human ability. So the first thing, look at verse 4 and understanding the gifts of the Spirit. is We're going to answer some questions that many times come up when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first one is this, is where do the gifts come from? Paul makes it pretty clear. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So obviously this is pretty self-explanatory. Where do the gifts come from? They come from the Spirit. Now why is that important? Because so many times you and I, when it comes to God's gifting in us... We come up with a lot of reasons why we don't have giftings or why we don't have something, and they're all based on this misunderstanding that the Spirit's the one who gives the gift. He's the source. He's the one that makes the decision. He's the one that empowers us. It has really little to do with our ability and everything to do with His. And that means if the gifts come from the Spirit, that means they don't come from, there's three things I want to highlight, they don't come from being gifted, that means that, that you and I don't get spiritual gifts because we're already naturally gifted or skilled. Or we have had success in life. So the Holy Spirit says, wow, you're really something. I'm going to give you gifts. That's not the way it works. But sometimes in our minds, that's how we register it. That almost I have to be good enough. And that's why when we think about in our own lives, there, there's so many times when we look at opportunities or we're asked to do something or we see somebody else doing something and we'll say this phrase, I could never do that. See, that's, that's spoken in our own human capacity. To look at ourselves, to look at the task in front of us and say, there's no way I could do that. That's an opportunity for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be given through us, to give us a supernatural power that we don't have, that only God can do through us, that says, yes, you can. Yes, you can do these things that you don't think you could do because I can gift you to do those things. And for all of us, there's different things that in a, throughout our life, maybe you have said that phrase to one or two opportunities or things that have come up over and over again. And when you're confronted with it, you say that again, you said, I could never do that. What I'm doing right now, standing in front of you, I said many times in my life, I could never do that. I could never pastor. I could never preach. I couldn't do that. I could never lead people. I don't want to do that. That's the last thing I'll do. I'm not equipped to do it. I'm not gifted to do it. I could give all the excuses and look where I am today. Just a side note, don't say never to God, okay? Because he will disprove our lack of faith and and our inability and say, no, you can do this through my power in you. See, if you and I will understand, it's not about how gifted we are that God gifts us, which leads to a second thing, that the gifts don't come from being educated. So many times you think, well, if I study, if I read, if I'm smart and I understand, I can, I can define all the gifts. I can tell you where all the places they're found in the scripture. And I read a lot and I understand a lot. Then, then I'll have the gifts. It's actually the opposite. Listen to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, what it said about the early apostles. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, they were uneducated, they were ordinary men, they were astonished that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, when, when Jesus called his disciples, do you ever notice if you read through the Gospels, he never says this. He said, all right, come on, guys. We're going to go to a seminary. We're going to study for the next seven years. You're going to get an undergraduate degree, and then you're going to go and get a master's of divinity. And then if you're really smart, you can get a doctorate of ministry or even a PhD. And then, finally then, you're going to be gifted to do what I've called you to do. Anybody ever see that in the New Testament? Not the one I've read. Jesus taught them by experience, and they learned about their gifting as they were living out life. How many times in our lives do you and I think, I'm just not smart enough? 
I'm just not educated enough. There's somebody smarter than me that could do that because they'll be more gifted to me instead of taking a step back and saying, well, maybe in my ordinary, simple little mind and life, God can do something extraordinary. Because it's not about my ability. It's not about my education. It's not about my smarts or my success. I have a close friend who's in Oregon who's pastoring today, and he was actually our associate pastor for about four or five years when we were in Newburgh. And there were so many times when we would sit down and I'd ask him the question and say, so what do you see for your future? Do you think that maybe God's calling you? He was our youth pastor at the time as well. And he said, is he calling you to, to be a senior pastor and, and to lead people in that capacity? And he would always say to me, he goes, I, I just don't feel called to do that. I, I don't feel like I'm gifted enough. And he would always say this, I never went to Bible college. You know, I was a Marine. I didn't have, you know, Bible experience. And, and I, but I love kids, and I love being a youth pastor. And he'd always make this statement to me. I'm called to be a youth pastor for life. And I would just smile at him. And I knew what it was. It was just, I'm afraid. I'm scared. And that conversation went on for a while until finally one day we were sitting down at breakfast, and he looked at me and he said, I think God's calling me to go out and plant a church. I said, Finally. And you know what's cool is I watched one of the things, one of the gifts of the Spirit that was always present, in, and to this day, it's part of the way he pastors. He has the gift of mercy. He has such compassion for people. I admire him because, honestly, I don't have as much as he does. But he loves people. And now, as, as a youth pastor, he loved kids. And now, as a senior pastor, he's loving adults. And it's amazing to see his gifting coming out. And now he's doing something that he said over and over and over again, I could never do that because I'm not educated enough. But thank goodness that God knew more about him than he knew about himself. And now he's doing what God has really gifted him to do. And then there's a third thing, a third place that the gifts don't come from. They don't come from being perfect. Surprise, surprise. Moral perfection doesn't earn you spiritual gifts because nobody is morally perfect. And if the God of the universe waited for us to get our act together to make us perfect or for us to be perfect, none of us would be gifted to do anything. And sometimes we're stuck on that. In fact, I've over and over, especially we're a part of a Pentecostal charismatic movement. And, and one of the, 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 the challenges we have is I've seen people say, well, you're not gifted because there must be some secret sin in your life. Oh my gosh, really? If that were true, all of us would never be gifted. None of us would. Now, does that mean I go out and blatantly sin and live in rebellion against God and then expect a gift? That's different. But all of us have sin in our lives. That's why we need the cross. That's why we need Jesus' sacrifice. But it's not that Jesus says, okay, I'm going to try to find the perfect people. You know, you go to Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 gathered in this upper room where the Holy Spirit comes initially. Do you think that God just gathered 120 perfect people and said, okay, here we go? No. I would say that probably 50, 60, 70, 80, maybe 120 were imperfect. None of them were perfect. And how many times in our life do we say to God, no, I can't do it because, I mean, look at all the cinema. Look at my history. Look at what I've done. Look at the thoughts that I have. And we give all the reasons of why we disqualify ourselves morally when morality has nothing to do with that because we know we're sinful. That's why we have to rely on Jesus' righteousness and God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to be qualified for anything. It's not about our perfection. And for some of us this morning, we need to hear this because you've been living in the, I can't do that. I'll never do that. For one of these reasons, and because of that, you haven't experienced the gifting that the Holy Spirit wants to deposit in your life that will contribute to something bigger than your own life. You haven't experienced it because you've already disqualified yourself when God hasn't disqualified you. So understanding the gifts means you and I have to understand where they come from and where they don't come from. And, And the way we really understand where they come from is there's a specific word that Paul uses when he says gifts. It's the, it's the word charismata, which the root word of that is the word grace. Literally translated, it says, the Holy Spirit gives graces. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting something you don't deserve, or you didn't earn, or you couldn't be good enough for. So even in the, the, the word gift, it's embedded in there that you and I can't be good enough, we can't be educated enough, we can't be all the things that we think we're supposed to be enough to give, get, for God to give graces in our life. It is a gift of the Spirit. It is something you and I don't expect, and it is something that we can't anticipate, and it's something that we can't earn. It's just as present as we learn to live outside of ourselves. Have you ever received a gift in your life that you didn't ask for, that you didn't earn, and that you didn't know it was coming? 
That's like a spiritual gift. Kim and I were in a, trans- we were in a transition period in our life one time, and we were, we were moving, and, and ministry assignment was changing. And, and as we were, were going through that process, we were sitting down one day, and we were praying about it because we looked at the numbers and how much money it's going to cost to move and salaries and all that stuff. And on paper, it didn't even come close to matching. There was no way. But we said, okay, God, we're going to trust you, and we're going to follow you. And, and it was not more than a few hours later, some friends showed up at our door. And they walk in and they said, we were praying and the Lord told us we're supposed to give you. And they gave us a check for $1,000. I seriously took a step back and said, now, do you have cameras in our apartment? Is there microphones around here? Because how in the world could you know that's exactly what we needed to move to the next season of life? We didn't tell them that. They just knew why. Because God had spoken to them. See, that's like the gift of spirit. We, we didn't go ask for money. We weren't like, Say, hey, we're, we're doing a fundraiser because we're in transition. No, we, how would they know? Because God was at work, unmerited favor, giving us graces to get us to the next step in life. That's spiritual gifts that God pours those things out, not because we're good enough, smart enough, or have it all together, but because he's decided to give us something that he knows that he can use through us if we're willing to give it away. Second question in understanding the gifts of the Holy Spirit is why are the gifts given? This is really important. Paul says in verse 7, Now to each one of the, uh, the, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It doesn't say that the manifestations of the Spirit are given for your good. They are given for the common good, which means they are gifts that are given. They are manifestation. They are evidence of God's Spirit working inside of us that are not for us to hang on to, but they are for us to give away. And that's where we have a tendency to get in trouble. We get in trouble when we are given a gift and we think it is all about us. In fact, as if you continue reading through 1 Corinthians 12, you get to 1 Corinthians 13, which is all about love. Then you get to this chapter in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul starts addressing pretty directly what's happening in the church in Corinth. Some people are walking into a gathering and they have the gift of tongues, they have the gift of prophecy, and they're using their gifts to benefit themselves. And the result is disorder confusion, and sin. And he's correcting them. In fact, someday when you and I get to heaven, go find somebody who is from the Corinth church and say, hey, thanks for messing up so much because we got a lot of good instruction out of your screw-ups. That's really what's happened. Paul goes through and says, listen, these are the areas you need to work on. He's really direct. And because of that, you and I, it wasn't just the church in Corinth. It's the church in Simi Valley in 2015. We still struggle with when something's been given to us, it becomes something we own, something we take pride in, self-pride in. And when we, we do that, what happens is we lose sight of the fact that God has given us something to give away. It's never to be something that we hang on to or that we take pride in because it isn't something that we own. It's a gift of the Spirit that flows through us to other people. Again, it's the common good. And it, you and I have to consider, are we asking this question when it comes to church? Are we asking the question, what can I contribute? What can I invest? Or the default for most all of us is when we engage in church, we're always thinking, what is in it for me? What am I getting from this? What am I getting from these people? What am I getting from going to a service? What am I getting? That's the question. When you and I do that, then we miss the whole point. The reason that when you say yes to Jesus and you become a part of the body of Christ, now you're here not only to be encouraged and to grow and be discipled, but you're here to invest the gifts that God is depositing in you into the lives of other people. And so many times we miss that. And there's some, some few things that are, are really are facts about spiritual gifts. The first one is you have something to offer. If you have said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as he does, you have a gift that God wants you to give away. You may not know what it is yet, but you have a gift. The Spirit distributes them to all of Jesus' followers, not just a few, but to all of us. That means in this room right now, there are spiritual gifts that either are known or are unknown because we haven't tried to live anything out yet. We haven't tried to invest ourselves. The second fact that's it's absolutely true is that the body suffers and lacks when you don't use your gift. When you, this is part of it, this is part of the reality of church. When you say yes to Jesus, you've just now given up your right to sit and do nothing. You can't do that anymore. That's, that's being a part of the body of Christ is I now invest in what God is doing. 
And we've talked about that as a church. As we are pro- walking through the process, God is recreating us. There is no opportunity to come and sit and, and, and be a consumer and just watch what goes on. Because if you're, if you're at that place, then you're missing out on not only the gifting God wants to give to you, but the body around you, people around you, whether you know it or not, are suffering because you're not contributing to them following Jesus because you have a gift that you haven't given yet. Which leads to the, the third thing, and that is doing nothing is not an option. It's not an option. When you follow Jesus, you, you don't ever get to shift into neutral, get your fire insurance, and wait till the end comes. You're misunderstanding what it means to follow Jesus. It means that now I'm engaged because now God has filled me with his spirit. Just think about it. The God of the universe lives inside of me. How can I sit and do nothing? If he really lives inside of me, he's pretty big, pretty powerful, pretty amazing. He wants to do th- th- things through me, but I'm too scared and don't want to be overwhelmed and my schedule's full, so I'm just going to kind of just sit and just wait and hope, hope I'll be okay. See, when you and I do that, we miss out on not only the gifts being given to us, we miss out on the benefit of seeing other lives impacted around us because the Holy Spirit is working through us. And then there's a third, the third question to ask today about spiritual gifts is what are the gifts? So in verses 8 through 10, I want to just, just take a couple minutes to walk through the list that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 12. And then he also, there's other lists, which we won't spend much time on, but in, in Romans 12 and, and Ephesians 4. But, but I want to just go through these to kind of give some clarity for some of the gifts. Uh, there's lots of different ways to define the gifts that are there, but these are the ones that I feel like are, are true to, I believe, what the intent is, what's written here. So going through the list that Paul gives in these, these verses. So the first thing he lists as a gift is he says the message or word of wisdom. Now, sometimes they think that we, we think gifts, because they are supernatural, they have to be this grandiose thing. A word or a message of wisdom is as simple as an insight that God gives you that is beyond your ability to understand. It's beyond your ability to come up with it on your own. It's beyond your ability to do research and study on. God gives you wisdom that goes beyond your capacity in a situation. That's supernatural. That's the kind of wisdom that you and I can't get from a book, we can't get from experience, we can't get from research, but it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit in a certain situation where God gives us the wisdom that we need either for our lives or for somebody else around us, and we have a specific insight. Then he lists a second one, which is a message of knowledge, which has to do with information that can only be known or revealed by God. That God gives you knowledge that you couldn't have come up with on your own, and it's something that he's giving you about somebody else or about a situation that you're able to share, and it brings clarity for somebody else. It gives them a warning. It gives them an understanding that only comes from God. It's a piece of information that you couldn't have figured out on your own. It's supernatural. Many of us have experienced that, that reality. And I know for, for Kim and I, we've at different points in our life, and one of the transition points going uh, from moving from California up to Oregon before we came back down, uh, we had already said yes. We were moving to Newburgh, Oregon. We were going to moving into a church that was at its height as far as its attendance and was considered very healthy and influential in the community. And so we were excited. It's like, wow, we're going to a church with no problems. By the way, there are no churches with no problems. And so there's an there's a, a amazing woman named Jean Darnell. She's still alive today. I think she's almost into her 90s now. She's been a part of our Foursquare movement from the beginning. And she's, she's one of the people, not, not, that, not saying this to anyone specific, but sometimes when people want to give a word of knowledge, sometimes I feel like they're giving more of their agenda for my life than they are really hearing independently of God. Does anybody know what I'm saying? But Jean Darnell doesn't function that way. She's really, when she hears something from the Lord, she'll speak the, what it is. And the times that I've had her pray for me, it's just like, man, she's right on. And I see that in the future. So she was praying over Kim and I as we prepare to go. And so we're thinking we're going into kind of this ideal situation. And she says this. She said, I, the Lord is telling me that there are skeletons in the closet. And I'm like, oh, wait, I don't want to hear that. And she said as well, she goes, God's telling me that you guys are going there to awake the dead. Like, wait a second, the church is at its height attendance-wise, it's influential in the community. We don't even awake the dead. They have to be awake to do that. And the first two years we got there, those two words that Jean gave us were so right on. As soon as we got there, we realized as we pulled back the layer of attendance, we pulled back kind of some of the reputation of the church and got into people's lives, oh my goodness, did the skeletons come flying out all kinds of destructive things going on in people's lives and realizing that in a sense people had died 
not physically, but they had died in a sense in their own spirits and they weren't alive to the bigger purpose of what God wanted to do in them. How did Jean know that? Did she go up to Newburgh and do a, a research study and figure out what was... No, she listened to the Lord. God gave her a piece of knowledge that she couldn't have figured out on her own and she shared it with us, which helped us to know as we're going through, skeletons are tough to deal with, but when you know that God has already said that's going to be there, it makes it easier to go through that because you knew that God knew what was going on before you got there. The next thing that Paul mentions is he mentions the concept of faith, which is a capacity to believe beyond others, which means you have this capacity to believe when other people disbelieve. And it's not just optimism, but it's really a true confidence in God that goes beyond other people's capacity to believe. In fact, if you know those kind of people, for me, honestly, sometimes they irritate me. Because I'm just, I'm a pessimist. I am. And when I'm around someone who has a lot of faith, I actually need to be around people who have faith because sometimes I need to get a nice nice spiritual kick in the butt to say, yeah, you need to believe for more. And sometimes those people, you want to tell them, just shut up. Let me live in my pessimism, right? But they're like, no, God can do this. I know. It's kind of, it's like Caleb and Joshua. When the the 12 spies go into the promised land and they come out, 10 of them give this bad report. And then what's Caleb and Joshua? Let's go, guys. Come on. We can do this. And what happened in that story? They almost killed Caleb and Joshua on the spot for being what? Faith-filled. But aren't you glad that God gives people that gift to inspire the rest of us to believe for more? Because sometimes we don't. And then Paul also says the gift of healing, and that's the ability to see people healed through you. You are not the one that heals people. God heals people through you. God gives you this ability. You see that a lot, obviously, through the book of Acts. As well, the next one, Paul says miracles, which is the ability to experience extraordinary power activities. To see somebody deal from, freed from demonic oppression, that's a spiritual encounter. That's an extraordinary, miraculous thing. God, God gives people that ability. Then he says prophecy. And prophecy is the ability to hear from God and communicate his truth. That's important because we take prophecy and we kind of make it the blanket statement for spiritual gifts. Everything gets thrown out. Oh, that's a prophetic word. Well, no, that's actually a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Prophecy, in fact, every Sunday morning when you show up, a part of what you experience is is prophecy. It is taking the truth that God has spoken and communicating it effectively. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament did. They heard from God, and then they communicated his truth to his people. Now, one of the things you'll really know if somebody's a prophet, they end up being really lonely because people don't like to hear the truth. Read through the Old Testament. Tell me how many of the prophets in the Old Testament had lots of people hanging out with them. No, there was cold, solitary, solemn, isolated places they ended up. Why? Because a lot of people didn't like them because they spoke the truth. But that's what prophecy really is. It's God's word to his people, and many times it comes in the form of truth that people have forgotten and need to be reminded of. And then Paul also goes on, he says, the, the gift of distinguishing between spirits, which, which is this wisdom that helps us determine the difference between light and dark, good and evil, truth and deception, authentic and fake. It's this ability that sees through kind of the facade, it sees through the exterior to the core and says, yeah, that's right, that's wrong. That's from God, that's from the enemy. It's people, God gives that ability. And then he goes on and he says the gift of tongues. I want to hang out here for just a little bit. Tongues is the ability to speak in a language that you don't know, a language that you didn't go to school for, that you didn't grow up learning. It is a supernatural capacity. And this is the gift that seems to weird people out the most, really. Acts chapter 2, you know, they're all gathered, and then the, the, the flame comes in the room and separates, and then they all start speaking language they don't understand, but people around them understand it. So let me just take a couple minutes to talk about the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, and, and some of this I'll, I'll take from some of the scriptures so you understand kind of my view on it. Okay, this is not something we divide over. But, but the gift of tongues comes in the form of when you are filled with the Spirit, you can, speak in the, you can speak in tongues. It doesn't necessarily mean that every person who is filled with the Holy Spirit will speak in tongues in a public setting. The reason I'm delineating this is because in what we call Pentecostal charismatic movements, there's difference of opinion. Some people are hard and fast on, in order for us to verify that you are filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. I don't necessarily believe that. Because if you read through the book of Acts, there are times when people were filled with the Spirit and it says they spoke in tongues. Other times, it doesn't include that. It doesn't say that. It says they spoke the Word of God more boldly, or it says other things. 
And here's the thing is so many times, I mentioned this last week, we love formulas. If I can plug in the formula and this is what's supposed to happen, then I can verify it. Jesus was not about formulas. That's why if you read through the Gospels, Jesus healed people all kinds of different ways. I mean, really? Spit and make mud in the dirt and wipe it on a guy's face. That is crazy. Now, if somebody does that today, well, if that's the way Jesus did it, it's not a formula. The healing power wasn't in the mud or a spit. The healing power was through God in him. If we understand that. So the gift of tongues, you may receive the gift of tongues when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But in my experience, I have seen people who show more evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit and don't speak in tongues than some people who do speak in tongues. And I'm scratching my head thinking, what? Really? And why do I say it? Because I have friends who have lived in guilt for years because they desire to live a Spirit-filled life, but they've yet to speak in tongues. But they have other gifts of the Spirit that are fully functioning in their life, and they still feel less than. That's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit determines. Now on another note, okay, this is where I take some from, gleanings from some of the things that Paul says. That I do think there's a capacity that God may give to each person who's filled with the Spirit, not the public gift of tongues, but a private prayer language that when you are both before the Lord privately, that you speak in tongues in a language you don't understand, but God understands. And I say that for two reasons. Paul says, he, he's asking some rhetorical questions. Do all speak in tongues? Do all prophesy? He's saying no when we go through these chapters, 13, 14, or 13, 14. And what he's saying is that not everybody has the same gift, but also Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. But throughout the New Testament, you never see Paul give a tongue in a public setting. Never. I have the gift of tongues privately, but I've never been in a public setting like this where God has said to me, I'm giving you a tongue that needs to be shared with interpretation. I've never had that. But I pray in tongues all the time. I was speaking in tongues this morning during worship. You just didn't hear me because my microphone was off. Because Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, in a public gathering, when the gift of tongues is used outwardly, publicly, it only can be done with interpretation. Otherwise, it causes mass confusion for people. You hear language you don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. People think you're crazy. That's why Pentecostals usually are assumed to be crazy because they're speaking in a strange language. The point in a public gathering is understanding. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes it really clear. You know when someone, if, if someone gives a tongue, you only give a tongue if you know someone has the interpretation. That's why you don't stand up and say, ah, I have a tongue. And then you stand there and look like an idiot because you don't know if someone has it or not. But Paul makes it really clear. If that's in a public gathering, the tongue is given and the interpretation. And you'll always know if the ter- interpretation is accurate because, Paul makes it pretty clear, that tongues are from men to God. Prophecy is from God to man. So if someone gives a tongue and then someone stands up and says, here's the interpretation, thus saith the Lord. That's not the interpretation. That's prophecy. Because what they should be interpreting is the praises of man back to God. That's what Acts chapter 2. It says they heard the praises of God in their own language. They heard people speaking praise to God. And so it's important to understand. So all that to say, the gift of tongues, I think, is something that we can access. But I think that there's obviously not everybody has the gift of tongues in a public gathering. There are only maybe a, a handful of people that God gives that to, which leads to the next thing. Paul says, not only the gift of tongues, but the interpretation of tongues, the ability to interpret a message in tongues. So you may hear, and tongues, I believe, can be a known language, and it can be an unknown language. There's debates over that as well. I don't think you can go hard and fast. And it can be a language that really is an earth language spoken somewhere on the planet, or it can be a heavenly language that none of us understand But God understands. That's why if it's done in a public gathering, it always has to have interpretation so that there is understanding for everyone. And then, as I mentioned, in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, Romans 12, Paul adds these gifts. He says, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy. In Ephesians 4, he talks about really what we call the fivefold gifts, and that is he talks about evangelists, pastors, teachers, um, prophets, apostles. Those are more like gifts, official like capacities that are, are given to the church. So all those are listed so that you and I understand those. Now, now I want to shift in, in, the, in the last section here and talk about how do I receive the gifts? Because when it comes down to it, that's the bottom line. That's the question we all ask. How do I receive the gifts? How do I know what my gift is? How do I experience that in, in practical terms? So in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. This is important. 
He distributes these just as he determines. And I want you to, we're going to hang on this for a little while. Three things I want to talk about in terms of receiving a gift or the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. The first thing is this. You and I have to remember to seek the Spirit, not the gift. Seek the Holy Spirit's work in our life, not the gift that he's going to give us. See, if you and I seek the gift and forget about the giver, we'll miss out on both. But if we seek God's Spirit working in our lives, then we'll get the Spirit and the gift that He wants to work in our lives. See, if, if you and I demand a gift, then it's not a gift. If they say, okay, God, your Spirit lives inside of me, now you have to give me a gift, then we're doing it for the wrong reasons because it's not about us, it's not about the common good, it's about what we want. I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like it's that little child Christmas morning mentality you remember those? Because I know for me, when I was young, man, Christmas had nothing to do with giving and everything to do with getting. Anybody relate? I mean, I seriously, there were, there were Christmas Eves, I didn't sleep all night. Because I knew I'm waking up, my stocking's going to be filled, there's going to be presents under the tree, and it's all about me. I waited for around October when, this will show you how old I am, the Sears catalog used to come in the mail. Anybody remember the Sears catalog? It was like this big, and it was, took 20 trees to make it. And I remember when I grabbed that, and I would just like own that thing for two months. I would steady it. I would flip to the toy section, and I would look at it, and I would go through, and I'd circle real big circles around the things that I want, and I'd always give it to my mom and dad. Say, here's what I want. I did that every year. In fact, all the years I was growing up, I never got one thing out of the Sears catalog, except for one time I did, and it broke within a month. Go figure. See, I think sometimes you and I, when you think about gifts, it's like, yeah, I want a gift. I want it to be about me. And then what happens is we forget it's not about the gift. It's about the giver of the gift. It's about who he is and what he resources in our lives. It's not about the things he gives us because what he's giving to us, he's not giving for us to hang on to. He's giving for us to give away to other people. The second thing to remember about the gifts is to serve. It's the purpose is to serve others, not ourselves. This is important. Their gifts are, are not for our benefit. Again, Paul says, for the common good, for the benefit of other people. That means when God gives us things in our lives, he doesn't give them for us to hang on to them. We've used, we talked about the analogy of money is exactly true. The reason you and I have money in our wallet or in our bank account or whatever resource that we have is so that God will show us that he provides for us, but also so that he can work generosity through us to people around us, through the church, through opportunities, all over the place. God has given us resource to do that. The same thing is true with gifting. When God deposits something in our life, he's showing us his provision, but he's also saying it's for somebody else. It's for the benefit of others around you. And I think for us to really understand what God wants to gift us in, we have to change our focus, realizing that what God wants to pour into me, even down to our salvation, it is about me being saved, but it's about what God wants to do through me. And if our, our kind of disposition is changed, saying, okay, God, whatever you want to give to me, I'm really willing to invest in other people around me, to be generous. You and I would be surprised, even beyond spiritual gifts, the things that God would pour into our lives. I've seen it happen over and over again. Amazing story. Um, some of you might have heard of Young Life. It's a, it's a great uh, on-campus ministry. It's at middle schools and high schools around the country. It started a number of years ago. But when we were up in Oregon, we were pretty involved with Young Life. Some of our staff members were part of Young Life, and so we partnered with them quite a bit. And there's a, an amazing camp up in Oregon. It's a Young Life camp. It's called Washington Family Ranch. And it's probably one of the best camps I have ever been to in my entire life. It is incredible. It's like... Disneyland for youth camp. It's incredible. The backstory on that camp is many years ago, in fact, I think it was late 70s, early 80s, there was a cult up in Oregon, and it was led by a guy named the Rajneesh. Anybody remember this? You know, up in Oregon, if you say Rajneesh, everyone's like, oh yeah, I remember that. So they, this guy came out of India. He got about 4,000 followers, really strange cult, and so they went and bought 66,000 acres in eastern central Oregon, out kind of in the middle of nowhere. And they were going to build their own city. That was their whole goal. And so they were building buildings, and they were trying to have this kind of utopia, this place where everything was perfect. And the problem was that you're living in the United States, you're living in a county, and there's codes. And so they got in trouble with the county. And because of that, there was all these different things. And then the federal government caught wind of it. And then what ended up happening is the Rajneesh got busted for tax evasion. And so they lost the 66,000 acres. Now the federal government owned it. 
They went to auction, and at auction, this very wealthy businessman who happened to be a Christian purchased it. And when he purchased it at auction, he purchased it knowing he wasn't going to buy it for himself. He just thought, 66,000 acres. God could do something with that. So I don't know how much he paid at auction, but it was a big price. And so he pays for this land. And now, now he's asking the question, what am I supposed to do with it? I got 66,000 acres. What am I supposed to do with it? He happened to be at an event one time, and he ran into somebody who was a representative from Young Life. And this guy was, didn't know who he was talking to. He's explaining to him about Young Life in Oregon and what's going on and need for a camp and all this stuff. And this businessman sees the opportunity. And he realizes, I can give this to Young Life. So he gave him 66,000 acres. I think they actually had to do some kind of transaction. So it actually was for a dollar. I don't know, something like that. That's amazing. But that wasn't the end of the story. Because this man has lived his life that his family, everything they get, they know they're going to pour into God's kingdom. So he gives him 66,000 acres, and with that, he gave him an initial gift. I think it was like $25 million. He says, I want you guys to develop the acreage. Young Life's like, really? So they they start converting stuff. It is the most amazing. The the old worship center that was for Rajneesh, which they would fit 4,000 people in, it's awesome. Now it is a sports complex. It has four full court basketball courts. It has three rock walls. It has a full gym. It has like 30 foosball tables and 30 ping pong tables. It has a skate park, a skateboard park in it. It's just crazy. It's like all this stuff. And then they've built here and there and everything. And then they finally like finished the high school camp, which can take 600 high schoolers at once. And then this Washington family said, okay, now we want you guys to build middle school camp. Here's $21 million. Go build it. If, if you ever get a chance to go there, it's the coolest middle school camp you'll ever go to. It has a water slide that comes out of the side of a mountain. It's unbelievable. There have been hundreds, if not thousands of kids who've come through Young Life and have gotten saved at that camp. It's amazing. Why? Because this guy, this Washington family, said, hey, whatever God gives us, he's given it through us. We're going to bless other people. If our focus is just like that, that I am going to be somebody when God deposits a gift in me, especially when we're talking about spiritual gifts, I know that it's been given to give away. I'll bet you you and I will discover what God's gifted us to do. But if we think, oh, I just want something for God to give me, it's got to be about me, then we'll probably never discover it. Which leads to the final thing, and and that is really probably one of the biggest questions, is how do I know what my gift is? And, And let me just make a statement, then I'll explain it. See what emerges, not what is assigned. And let me explain what I mean by that. When it comes to discovering your gift, see what emerges in your life as you give your life away, not what somebody assigns as your gift. Let me explain what I mean by that. I have been in ministry long enough to know, and please, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, there are so many different spiritual gift tests out there, assessments, and I've, I've actually taken many of them, I've actually administered them, and I've seen that the sum total of those, those things many times leads to absolute confusion and frustration for people. I think in the gift mix, or the gift test that I've taken, I've come out with like 10 different gifts. Seriously. And one of them, honestly, was mercy. And I'm, I'm sorry, I can be merciful, but my gift is not mercy. Just ask him and the kids. It's not. But, but, but sometimes we, we, what happens is someone takes a spiritual gift test and they go, okay, uh, uh, I have the gift of encouragement. And then we try to really encourage people, but it doesn't come naturally. So when you have a gift, you don't have to work at it. It comes because it's supernatural power. So it's like, okay, now I have to go really work hard at my gift. Now I have to let God use me for his gift through me. Now there are temperament tests there are personality tests. Those are different. Those are things that I think God embeds in us naturally as who we are from the moment that we're born. And those can, can be assessed. Those are more natural things. How can you assess something that is supernatural? You can't. There's no test in the world that can kind of quantify what's supernatural. It's the spiritual gifts that God gives. So you're thinking, well, that's great. Now that I've taken 10 of them and I'm still confused, how do I know what my gift is? How do you think the people in the New Testament and the book of Acts knew what their gift was? Did Jesus t- say when he was going back to be with the Father, by the way, the Holy Spirit's coming and here's a 10-page gift mix test that if you'll take, you'll know what your gift is. He didn't do that. 
He didn't even say, oh, by the way, you're going to get spiritual gifts. They discovered them as they followed Jesus. They discovered them as the church was being birthed. And they discovered them in action. They discovered them as they were living outside of themselves, as they're giving their life away. The Holy Spirit comes, supernaturally empowers them, and they discover, wow, I have that gift. God's given me that gift. But it was it never came, spiritual gifts are never revealed, never discovered, discovered, never used when you and I are doing nothing. Even if you take a test and it says you're this, you're not that until you see it working in your life. And that means discovering God's power through us, discovering his gifting through us only happens when we're willing to get off the bench and get in the game. That's the only way we're going to find it. It's the only way we discover what God has gifted us to do. The same thing is true in all other areas of life. You can go to school for years in a certain career or industry, and that's what you want to do. But if you're not good at it, it doesn't matter how much education you have. It's part of discovering. How many of us have gotten a college degree and the career we're in right now has nothing to do with the college degree that we spent all that money on? A lot of us. You discover what? By doing, not by studying or thinking. You discover it by doing. Courtney, my daughter, she tried all kinds of different activities and sports. In different, she tried gymnastics and dance and all kinds of different things. And she was good here and there, but she finally, after years and years and years, until she wasn't until she was in middle school, she finally found a sport that she was good at and she loved playing. And it's this crazy sport called lacrosse. And if you ever try to watch a girls' lacrosse game and try to figure it out, don't try to figure it out. Just watch it, okay? Crazy rules. You think it's like soccer, but it's not really like soccer. But Courtney, they, had, they were doing it in PE in her first year of middle school. And she starts doing it. She's like, she comes home and she goes, I think I really like playing this game. We're like, what's this game? She goes, it's called lacrosse, which by the way, it's huge on the East Coast. It's just catching on in Oregon. And there's a few, uh, few uh, clubs down here. And actually, Simeon Royal started a couple of years ago. But, but it's not really wide known, widely known. So she goes, yeah, it's really good. And one thing I love about my daughter, she's like all in. She's aggressive. And so she's, she'd rather jump first and then ask why she was jumping later kind of thing. And I love that about her. She's like, dad, she goes, yeah, I, I'm aggressive. I go after it. They give me a stick. I might be able to hit people. You know, it's really fun, right? It's, she's all into it. So she played that for almost five years and she was really good at it. It took her till she was in middle school to figure out what she was good at. In fact, I remember times where she would say, dad, Jordan's the athlete. Jordan plays baseball. Jordan plays basketball. And then she found lacrosse. That took a long time. But what I loved about my daughters, she didn't sit back and just disqualify herself on the bench. She kept trying until she found what it was. See, the same thing is true of spiritual gifts. If you and I don't give our lives away, we will never discover God's power through us. God's power doesn't just miraculously come as we sit and bask in it. It comes as we give ourselves away. You don't need God's power to sit still. You and I need God's power and his gifting if we're giving our life away and living out his mission, his purpose in our lives. That's how we discover those gifts. That's where you'll discover those. You're like, oh, wow, I was praying for this person. I was caring for them. I had compassion. And God gave me knowledge that I could not have come up with my own. That has to be a spiritual gift. Or even seriously, mercy. Maybe you're not merciful, but you start serving people, and God starts to break your heart for people around you. You never had compassion for anybody around you, but now your heart breaks, and you can't stop weeping for people. That's a gift that the Spirit gives to you. That's supernatural. You mean to care for somebody else? That is supernatural in our day and age. That's the gift that God gives you. But it always comes when what? We give ourselves away. Let me close with this and I'm going to pray. This is, this is one of the things that we've talked about as a church, as God is recreating us. There is no room for spectators. And in the church, not just New Hope, but in the church in general, it is our fault. We have created a mentality that I can say yes to Jesus I can feel good about my standing and that if I die, I go to heaven. But all the rest of it, I can just kind of come and I can show up on a Sunday once or twice a month. I can kind of connect with other people. But if you're going to ask me to serve or be a part of a community group, uh, that's not my thing. Remember what I said earlier? One of the things that's true, if you're not doing anything, the body suffers. In fact, if you, if you and I were to go on and read the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the body. But there's hands and there's arms and there's feet and all those work together to form the body. And that means if you're a hand and you say, ah, I don't feel like being a hand, guess what? The body doesn't have a hand anymore. And it suffers. When you and I say yes to Jesus, we no longer have the right to say, ah, I'm not going to do anything. 
So I want to encourage you. Find an avenue of service. Like, I don't know what I want to do. Then start somewhere. Start somewhere. Whatever you're leaning towards. You know what? You might discover, I maybe mean, I want to work with kids. And you get in there for two weeks, and you're like, I don't want to work with kids. That's okay. And the kids probably don't want to work with you either, but that's how you discover it. Maybe you're, you want to be a part of the worship team. You discover, oh, maybe not. Sometimes it takes four or five, six different times. You realize, man. Because I, I look at people, and I see people around our church, and I'm thinking, man, they are right where they belong. They're hitting out of the park. I watch some of our ushers. Alex, Alex rocks. I don't, Alex, I don't mean to embarrass you. He's born to be an usher. He sees things that nobody else sees in the service. It's awesome. Why? Because he's gifted to do what he's doing. How did he discover that? He started doing it. Community groups is another avenue. I encourage you. You hear it all the time. You want to know what your spiritual gift is? Start rubbing shoulders with other people. Start having to live side by side and care for other people. Start serving in, in outreach. You're going to discover what you're gifted to do, what God's empowering you to do. But it doesn't come by sitting on the bench. So when we move to the new building, there will be no more bench. (laughs) Only the court, only the field, because we're all in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us so much that not only did you give your life to cover our sin, to, to reconcile us back to God, but you loved us so much that you wanted to use us and value us to impact people around us, to impact the church, impact the world. Because that means, the Lord, you've chosen us to not only be the, the goal in, in, in terms of our salvation, but you've chosen us to be vessels, ambassadors, and conduits of your graces, your mercy that flows through us to other people. And so, Lord, I ask today for, for each person that, Lord, maybe, maybe in us we've disqualified ourselves and and we, we feel like we can't do anything. And Lord, that's obviously right where we need to be because we realize it's your power through us. But I pray, Lord, that you would, even as we sang earlier today about being brave, about being strong and courageous, about risking, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to step forward and step off the bench and into your work and into your activity in our life so that, Lord, not, we won't only just discover what our gifting is, but Lord, we will be able to bless other people. We will be able to live for the common good so that ultimately, Lord, the church is stronger, it's healthier, and because of that, we're able to fulfill your mission and your purpose in our city and our world. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.